fun to be at a church where there's really talented people. Amen? Great. Uh, man, thank you, Aaron and uh, Rob, for sharing that song with us. Grateful. If you have a Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be camping out in verses 13 through 18 today as we draw close to the close of a few month series that we've been doing through the book of Ephesians. Uh, this morning is really part two of a message that we started last week in addressing the, the topic that Paul ends this uh, book with, and that is uh, the topic of spiritual warfare. Um, a lot of maybe uh, tentativeness around that subject in our culture, as we talked about last week, a, a lot of misunderstanding, and I think many of us would um, rather keep our distance from it. Um, and I said last week, hey, we always get a chance to practice what I preach, so um, I need to start preaching on prosperity a little bit more. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I, I had the chance to practice last week uh, what we talked about. Um, and I enter into today with a, a certain sense of weight. I think that this could be for us as a church, um, a, a passage of scripture that we look back on and say, man, if we could really get this. If we could really get this, then, then things would be a little bit different for us. I, um, I had the opportunity, I'll call it that, uh, the day before Thanksgiving to go with our high school and junior high students up to uh, go paintballing. Um, and I had a big target on my back. I'm not sure why they gave me the shirt that had a big target on my back, but I did. And, and I got there a little bit late. And the first thing that I did when I got there, the first thing that they had me do was go through this safety training course. Um, and I wasn't the only one there. There was a, a high school kid, not from our group, uh, who was there also. Um, and he was there for a different reason than me. I'd gotten there a little bit late because of some prior obligations. But he was there because he didn't listen too well the first time around in the course. And they made that real clear to him throughout this second training time that they had. And so uh, they taught us how to put our little sheath on the gun barrel after you get out of the um, arena where the paintball game is being played. And they taught us that under no circumstances do you ever remove your mask if you are in the field of play. Now, this guy had removed his mask. And so throughout this whole time, I mean, they're teaching us what to do, and they're going through all these different rules. And this, the, the director was so angry with this kid that he would just, in the middle of his sentence, say, and drop down and give me 20. And this little high school kid's like, okay, you know, and he's, he is terrified. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to have to do any push-ups, you know. I, what do I need to do to not get in his position? Because they gave us everything that we needed on that field in order to be safe. But this kid just didn't listen to the instructions. So, you better believe that as I entered onto that field of battle, that I made very clear and very certain that I had my mask on at all times. Because here's the deal. You can have all the right gear. And you can have all the right equipment. And you can have all the right training. But if you don't use it. And if you don't have it on, it's no good to you. It's no good to you. Now, here's what, here's what Paul said last week in, in our time of study. That we are in a very real and very present spiritual battle. That you have an enemy for your soul who's, who's crafty, who's cunning, who, who wants to destroy you. That's a, that's a vet, that is a present reality for all of us sitting in this room right now. And it will be until the day we go home and meet Jesus. 
Our maturity doesn't take us out of the battle. Maturity simply teaches us how to engage the battle and how to fight the battle and how to win the battle. But, but the reality of the battle is something that will be present with us every single day of our lives. But, but, we ended last week by saying, and by, by Paul saying, but we've already been made victorious. We, we have, we've already won, so we don't fight for victory, we actually fight from victory. That, that we are, as followers of Jesus, we stand in the victory that Jesus has already purchased for us. And if you are here last week, you remember that Paul said in this section of Scripture, let me read this as we jump into our Uh, our study this morning. He says in verse 10 through 13, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now this is a command in the Greek. It's an imperative. So he says, listen, put it on. It's possible, friends, for us to have the armor at our disposal and not have it on. And not have it on. So he says, put it on. That you might be able to stand. No, 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 he doesn't say. That you may be able to stand. He's convinced you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And he ends this section by saying, therefore, because you have an enemy, because you have an enemy that wants to destroy you, and because there's very real and present armor available to you, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand evil in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I love the confidence that Paul writes this passage with. And if you understand understand the context of Ephesus and where Paul's writing, this is a hyper-spiritual culture. I mean, magic and the occult are rampant. You have um, the temple of Artemis, who's one of the uh, main Greek gods of the time. And if you read through Acts chapter 19, you see a lot of the spiritual activity that's going on in Ephesus. But Paul gives great confidence to the Ephesian church. He says, if you're willing to be strong in the Lord, and if you're willing to take up the armor that he's graciously given you, you will stand. So implication. If we're getting defeated, if we're, if, we're, if we're being defeated, if we're being pummeled by the enemy, the reason is not that God has withheld any resource from us whatsoever. The reason is that we just haven't taken up what he's given to us. I love the way that Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, talked about this passage of scripture we're jumping into this morning. And he says this, there is nothing that is more urgently important for all who claim the name of Christian than to grasp and to understand the teaching of this particular section of Scripture. Because God has given you everything you need, friend, to be victorious. And this this section that we're jumping into this morning answers the question that many of us walked away from this our time together last week thinking and that was hey paulson that's great we have an enemy we have victory there's a war but what do i do i mean those are all great truths but how do i how do i engage this quote-unquote spiritual battle in a way 
that allows me to walk in the victory that God has so graciously given? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that question. And I'm glad you're here this morning for us to wrestle with the answer to that question. So we jump in to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll start in verse 14. As Paul is going to unpack for the Ephesian church and for you and for me, how we put on the armor of God. Now, just by way of context, Paul is um, in a Roman jail, most likely on house arrest. So the way that they did house arrest back in that day was they literally chained Paul to a Roman guard. Do you imagine being that Roman guard? That Roman guard got a lot of the gospel. I mean, that Roman guard was probably like, who's being punished here? Like, come on. All right, I will convert just to get you to be quiet. Thank you very much, Apostle Paul. But he's sitting there, chained to a Roman guard, on house arrest, and he looks at him, and he's going to draw some pretty significant, pretty deep, pretty multifaceted, powerful analogies from the Roman armor that he wears to the spiritual armor that you and I are invited to put on. And this is the way he starts. He says, stand, therefore. Remember, just just by way of reminder, that we aren't called to take any ground. Jesus already took the ground. Jesus already purchased the victory. So, so, So you and I are called not necessarily to fight to advance and take more ground. We're just called to stand confidently, And to stand intentionally in the truth of the victory that Jesus has already graciously provided you. So he says this, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So Paul's going to start going through this analogy of a a Roman soldier's armor. And he's going to draw analogies to to the armor that you and I are invited to put on as followers of Jesus. And the first one he says is the belt of truth truth. Now this belt was not, not completely uh, similar to the one that like I'm wearing now. I won't show it to you, but um, I'm wearing a belt. Um, see, belts served a few purposes for the Roman soldiers. One is they really tied everything together. They held everything together, and that was its main purpose, but its second purpose was it was a, a leather sort of almost skirt. I would never say that to a soldier. I would never call it a skirt to his face, but it functioned a little bit like a skirt and protected the bottom half of their body. And so Paul says, hey, truth, truth functions in the same way. For us as followers of Jesus, truth functions in the same way. And we'll state it like this this morning, is that we step into the victory Jesus has provided when we stand firm against deception and temptation by being firmly planted in his truth. I don't know if you've caught this, but truth is under fire a little bit. Uh, I mean, especially absolute truth that, that people do not like. You make the proposal of absolute truth and they will absolutely reject it. Right? I mean, there's no such thing as absolute truth, which is an absolute statement in and of itself. But we don't have time to go there this morning at all. But it's under fire, and it has been since really the beginning of time. And you see it reflected in the way that Pilate interacts with Jesus. Listen to this statement as as Jesus appears before Pilate. 
Pilate said to Jesus, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the what? Truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, and Pilate responds, what is truth? What is truth? Uh, People have been asking the question since the the beginning of time, and I want to define it for us this morning, give us a functional definition, and then talk about the way that the devil may want to undermine that, because all of this armor that he's going to talk about this morning goes hand in hand with the schemes that the devil's going to bring against us in order to try to defeat us or get us out of the realm of victory that Jesus has already provided for us. And so we want to talk about what is truth and then what's the lie that the devil often tries to introduce to get us off base. Truth is simply reality. Reality as God sees it, reality as God knows it, reality as God designed it. Truth is simply reality. Truth is what you run into, I've heard it said, when you find out that you're wrong. Truth is Reality And our concern with truth, our desire to be people of the truth, that it's part of the spiritual armor that you and I are called to wear, is an inevitable expression of our concern with who God is. It's directly tied to who God is. If, if God exists, and, and, and most of us are here because we're, we're pretty convinced that he does, if God exists, then he's the, the measure of all things. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things, the giver of all things. And so what he thinks about those things should be what we think about those things. Truth is simply aligning ourselves with reality. With reality about like what God thinks about our sexuality, with reality about what God thinks about our families, with reality about what God thinks about our relationships, with reality about what God thinks about our jobs, with reality about what God thinks are about our homes. That truth is in alignment with reality. And what Paul says here is, is that just like a belt functions to hold up your pants, so truth functions to hold everything together. And create a singularity of focus in us. A singularity of desire and an integrity, if you will, of soul. See, the opposite of of truth is, is lies, but lies that sort of get in the cracks and start to divide. That's essentially what Paul refers to here. Is it the opposite of truth is in us duplicity. Hypocrisy. It's having a divided mind. And so I think that Paul would have us wrestle with this morning is what is our bearing? What is our gauge? What's our measure of what's true? Of what's real? Do, do we simply hop in line with the rest of culture? Is that the way we find out what's true? Do we, do we simply go off what we think? I found out that's really dangerous for me. Right? Or... or or do we align ourselves with, with his word? Or do we align ourselves with his word? See, because here's one of the schemes of the enemy. He would love, love, love to undermine your conviction that God is truth. 
Do you know that, that for us followers, as followers of Jesus, truth isn't a propositional claim that we either agree with or disagree with. Truth at its core, at its meatiest point, is not a proposition. It's a person. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so Paul says, hey, hey, take a step back. Are we people of truth? Jesus thought it was pretty important. In fact, he said to his disciples, he said to the Jews who believed him, and he's looking at a a crowd of people, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then, after you know, and after you abide, and after you live it out, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We'd agree with Jesus. There's a certain freedom in being singularly focused, not wavering, not having a divided mind, but standing confidently on on who God is and and on his word and of the person and work of Jesus. He says, hey, you want to fight the, the spiritual battle? Step into truth. Step into truth. He goes on goes on. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this was a coat of mail that was like made of iron that went all the way from their neck down to their thighs. So this Roman guard, presumably, that Paul's looking at is dressed in this. And Paul looks at his, his iron sort of undercoat and he says, that's what righteousness is like. For the follower of Jesus, that's what righteousness is like. Did you know that the enemy would love to, maybe more than anything else, love to undermine your conviction of your righteousness? And so Paul says, this is the, this is the spiritual battle that if we're going to win, and he said, you will if you take up the armor, that when we take up our God-given righteousness... We start to be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And so I'll, I'll say it like this this morning, that we step into victory when we silence the accusations by remembering our God-given righteousness. As I've prayed through this message, I, I don't know that there's anything in this that I want you to get more. That you have an accuser of your soul. In fact, here's, what, here's the way that the Bible describes your enemy. And one of the tactics, one of the schemes that he takes is this. Listen, it said, And I heard a loud voice, this is Revelation 12, verse 10, in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the, what? Accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Do you know that you have an an accuser of your soul? And, and, And before God, he goes to the throne of God and says, hey, are you sure you can forgive Paulson? Like, have you seen him lately? I mean, the dude's struggling. He's a, he's a mess. Are you sure that you can Forgive him, he says, before the throne of God. So, hey, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If he says it before the throne of God, is it not only probable 
but also likely that he would say it to you also. That he would knock on the door of your heart and say, are you sure he can love you? You you remember your past. See, this is the this is the this is the way that he schemes as he brings forth these accusations and and so you drive past a certain part in town and you remember something that you did way 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 back in the day and he comes and he says to you, "You're still guilty. You're still guilty." Here's the way here's the way to know if we're falling for the schemes of the enemy in this area two ways one we live under extreme weight of guilt for things that we've done in the past. That we aren't quite sure, at least in our heart, maybe in our head we can go, yeah, 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 God, I I know I'm forgiven, but it just keeps replaying in our head. Or, Or two, or two, we are just crushed under the shame of who the enemy says that we are. crushed under the shame of who the enemy says that we are. We're, we're pretty sure, if, this is, if we're falling for these schemes, we're pretty sure that God is angry with us. That He's mad at us. And that He stands sort of at arm's distance going, hey, when you, when you get it together, when you clean up your act, I'm here, I'm waiting, arms wide open, but you just got to clean up your act and get to me. Oh, 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 the enemy loves it when you think that God is over there. And you just need to clean up a little bit in order to get to him. It's the Jesus plus gospel. Jesus plus whatever you want to fill in the blank. God will love me when. God will accept me when. God will be for me when. God will redeem me when. So, what do you do with that? Because those accusations are coming. What, what, do, we, what do we do with that? Here, here's a, you understand the gospel. Here's the gospel. You didn't earn it anyway. God, God, didn't, God didn't choose you because he had it so together. It's called salvation because we were in need. Not because we're skipping along doing great. It's called salvation because we were in desperate need and could not save ourselves. So when the enemy comes and reminds you of your past, you remind him of your Savior. Hey, absolutely I have a past. And I was doomed for destruction before Jesus stepped in. But accuser, let me remind you that Jesus stepped in. And not only, not only did he step in past tense, but accuser, before the throne of God accusing me, I also have an advocate before the throne who right now defends me. Not based on my merit, not based on what I've done, but simply based on the goodness of His grace that He gave me through Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. That's it. So Paul writes, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is currently, now, interceding for 
us. You didn't earn it. He graciously gave it and he stands to intercede for you right now. So when the enemy reminds you of the fact that you have a past, I've heard it said, remind him of the fact that he has a future. And that Jesus is victorious. That he's victorious. And hey, here's the truth of the matter. I don't don't care what your morning looked like. I don't care what it looked like right before you got in here. I don't care what this week looked like. It could be an absolute mess walking in here. And the enemy loves to, especially sitting in this place, remind you of how big of a failure you were this week. Hey, currently, right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you stand righteous and holy. Perfect before the throne of God. There is when. Now. I love that verse. Because it will read now tomorrow too. Right? There is now. It will say now in a week. And so you just read that and you remember it. And you soak in the fact that, yeah, enemy, you would love. You would love for me to think that I'm still bound by my past, that I'm bound by by my bad decisions and by my screw-ups. But, oh, Jesus, thank you for the fact that right now I stand uncondemned, holy, blameless before the throne of God. Couldn't be any more holy. Not because of me. And, and, And I will. Not because, not because I'm great, but because he's great. We are in, in an attempt to just sort of streamline some of our finances at the church. We're um, embracing a, a good principle of um, closing the books at the end of the month. And, and, and so here's what that means. is We hit a button and it closed. And we can't go back and change it. You can't go back and say, oh, we made a little bit of a mistake in January. Sorry, January's closed. We, he, we hit the button, closed. Jesus hit the button. Not condemned. Zero guilt. Zero shame. All of it was poured out on him on the cross, and he says, book closed on Paulson. He stands before me holy. So it doesn't matter what what happens tomorrow. And and now the enemy wants to use that in my heart and in my soul to get me off of the goodness and grace and mercy of Jesus. No, book's closed. Done deal. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. And hey, you stand the same way before the throne. He goes on. He goes on. So not only do we have on the belt, not only do we have on the breastplate of righteousness, but he continues, and as shoes for your feet, having put the readiness given, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, these uh, Romans, they wore, they wore sandals. It says shoes in the ESV. That's maybe a little bit better translation. But they were, they were sandals, leather sandals. I mean, sandals with cleats in them. Okay? 
So these were not, these were not your day on the beach type of sandals. These were let's do war sandals. All right. And so Paul says, hey, that's the way that the gospel is. It's the way the gospel works. It's the way the gospel functions. Did you know that a pushing forward impetus in our lives, individually and corporately, where we, where we sense the weight and the invitation that God has given us to be gospel carriers, gospel messengers, actually helps us fight the spiritual battle? One of the greatest things, one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to get you to be complacent. And so we'll say it like this this morning, is that we step into victory when we reject passivity and step into our calling as gospel messengers. Gospel messengers. See, see, and I, I always want to push us back to the fact that God is not asking for something from you. He's not going, how do I get this message out? Hmm, I guess I could create a church. No, he's saying, he, he is always looking to invite you into something, not take something from you. He wants something for you. And so when he says, I want your feet to be ready to go as messengers of the gospel, it's not for his sake alone. It's for our sake as followers of Jesus. And the greatest thing that the enemy could do, one of the greatest things the enemy could do is cause us to be complacent or off target. One of the two. One of the two. To just be completely content with where we are. So I think, I think, I think he loves it when we say things like, share the gospel always, but when necessary, use words. Or, 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 man, I used to do college ministry and there'd be these guys that came to the college campuses with these massive signs that if a stiff wind came up, and I prayed that it would, but it never did. The stiff wind came up, they'd just take them all the way to the beach from where we were, and, and their signs said, you're going to hell. Made for some interesting days on campus. I think the enemy wants us to think it has to be either or. That either we just say nothing, or we only say, and we don't do. I think one of the enemy's greatest schemes in this area is this dichotomy that you never see in Scripture between living the gospel and sharing the gospel. That so these two things are, are unified. I think he loves it that we say things like, well, we're a disciple in church. Translation, we're scared of evangelism. Right? I mean, oh man. Or we're an evangelistic church. Translation, we're shallow. Right? And he says, no, no, it's not, it's not either or. It's we are people who embrace because of the goodness and mercy of Jesus the fact that we are called to move the gospel forward. And hey, you want your life to have great meaning and purpose? Understand this point. Understand this point. The book of Philemon says that as you share the gospel, you have knowledge of every good thing that you have in Jesus. So he says, we are carriers of the message. I love the way that Francis Chan puts it. I love it just because it's a little edgy. And he says this, Christians are like manure. Man, just right. And if you're taking notes, I'm like manure. Wait, what? Spread them out and they grow better. 
keep them in one big pile and they stink horribly. So are we, are we ready? Are we ready? Paul goes on and he says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, now I don't want you to think medieval times, shield of faith. It's a little tiny shield, that is circular that you hold up. Think door. Think small door, two feet by four feet. That's, that, was, that was the size of a, a Roman soldier's shield, two feet by four feet that was covered in leather and dipped in water so that when the fiery arrows came, they could use their shield and it would hit them and extinguish the fire. And Paul says that's the way that faith works in the life of the believer. That's the way faith works in the life of believers. See, we step into victory when we conquer doubt through the protection of a firmly established faith. The book of Hebrews is going to say it's a conviction of things not seen. I've noticed in my own life, especially as I, as I interact with difficult situations, and, and, and this, has been my, this has been my week. Where my faith is, I mean, I'd love to stand up here before you and pretend like I wear a cape. But, but man, I, I don't. And my mom's health just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And I have to wrestle with this. Okay. Is my faith in a person or is my faith in an outcome? And I've been pushed back further than just trusting Jesus for an outcome that may not come to trusting him, period. Period. See, the enemy would love to, would love to erode my faith and get me to think in my head, man, God, you must not be powerful. Or you must not be good. One of the two, because I just can't explain this. And I don't know why this is going. And what did we do to deserve this? You know those kind of questions that most of us ask at some point in our life. But let me ask you, is your faith in, in a person? Or is it in an outcome? Those are two very different things that lead down very different paths. And I love this because this is the, the Roman soldiers, they knew something about their shields. They, they knew something about their shields. Their shields were effective and good when it was just them and they were down beneath them, right? But here's what they also knew. They also knew that their shields were way more effective when they had a hundred soldiers lined up right next to each other. Saying, hey, when you're weak, I can take that arrow for you. When you're when you feel like you're falling, I can I can I can stand for you. I I will I will battle on your behalf here. Take my faith for a time. Hey, that's what, that's why we want you to be 
in a life group because there are going to be times, friends, when, when we just simply can't take up the shield on our own and we need other people to stand in the gap for us. To say, I'll take it for you. I'll take it for you. He goes on to say, and take up the helmet of salvation. I mean, in hyper-spiritual Ephesus, Paul says, I want you to think on the fact that you are the redeemed. You're going, Paul's, and that's not spiritual warfare. Well, according to the Bible, it is. And, and hey, let's always use that as our barometer, huh? He's saying the way that you think is going to influence the way that you interact with this spiritual battle. And so here's the way that I will say it for us this morning. We step into victory when we guard our mind by standing in the reality of our new identity. Identity. Yeah, it's more normal than many of us want to believe. Normal, quote-unquote, not in the, the spiritual realm. We don't usually think of it that way. But it's far more ethereal and far more spiritual than we could ever possibly imagine because your enemy's desire is to erode your conviction and your belief that you are the redeemed. And so Paul's just pointing back to the first half of the book where he said, hey, 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 you're a follower of Jesus. Here's what that means. You're blessed. You're chosen. You're holy, you're spotless, you're blameless, you're perfect. You are a son or daughter of the king. You were raised from death to life. You stand before the throne blameless. You're saved. And what Paul says is, think about it, know it, sit in it, soak in it, let it transform your soul. This is part of the the spiritual battle, friends. See, if he can erode your belief in who you are as a son or daughter of the king then he will defeat you. That's why, and I'd never really noticed this before, but as Jesus is being tempted in the desert, listen to the way that the enemy comes to him. And the first thing he says is, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God. You know, that's the way he starts this whole thing. By throwing this little seed of, hey, hey, maybe he'll take this doubt and internalize it. Yeah, we're people that sit in the goodness and the mercy of Jesus. And we keep our eyes on him. And we view everything that happens to us through the lens of the cross. That he's good. And that he's for me. And that I am one of his children. Everything that happens to me in life has to come through that. It has to. I love the way that the Puritan John Owen puts it when he says, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do Him is not to believe that He loves you. Do you know this battle that goes on? Not only, but primarily takes place in two areas. One, your heart. And so we already talked about the breastplate of righteousness that covers that area. And two, your head. That's why the, the passage that I, I had to skip says that we take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. This is, there's two passages. I have to talk about this for a second. There's two passages in our, in our New Testament 
that are prescriptive about spiritual warfare, that tell us how to fight, that tell us how to, how to engage this battle. One is Ephesians 6, and the other is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5. through 5. Now, there's other passages that are descriptive, meaning that they describe the spiritual battle. But these two passages teach us how to fight. And primarily what you see in both of these passages is, hey, know truth, believe truth, live in truth, step into truth, convince your mind that these things are are true and soak in it and allow it to transform your heart. This is the spiritual battle. Paul finishes up by saying, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, of God. So he defines it. And the sword in this instance is, um, I've always heard it said, well, there's only one offensive weapon in the spiritual armor. It's a sword. Well, if you understand what kind of sword this is, and Paul's really specific in the Greek, it's a short sword. It's like a, it's a dagger. It's not a, hey, let's get out on the front lines type of sword. It's a self-defense type of secret dagger, right? (laughs) And he says, hey, that's the way, that's the way that the Word of God and the work of the Spirit function in your life. And he intertwines these two, the Word and the Spirit, so we need to be careful not to divide what he's intentionally put together. See, the Bible is inspired by the Spirit, given through the ministry of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the one who, who teaches us as we come to the Bible. If things are coming alive in your soul this morning, it's because the Holy Spirit is making the Word of God alive to you, that He leads us into truth, and that He reminds us later about what we know and believe to be true from the Word. These two things are, are not divided ever. They are always brought together. And I, man, one of the tactics of the enemy is to get you to do two things with this word. One is to doubt it. And two is to neglect it. Either way, he says, if, if that happens, the armor that you've been given and, 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 and invited to wear so that you will be victorious, there's a chink in that armor. If we doubt it or neglect it. So again, how do I summarize all that? How do I pull that together? Here's how I'd like us to end our, our time this morning. Oh, sorry. We step into victory when we learn to defend ourselves with the word and with prayer. I stepped onto that paintball field knowing that because I was the new pastor in town and that these were high schoolers, that they wanted to take me down. I knew I had an enemy. Luckily, luckily when I hid in the corner, I had a bunch of guys with me that went out and fought, but no, I'm just kidding. I knew I had an enemy. But I also knew I had everything I needed to succeed. And hey, friend, so do you. So do you. The question for us this morning isn't do we have the resources. The question for us this morning is will we put them on? Will we, will we use them? Will we be convinced of truth? 
Will we, will we stand in our righteousness? Maybe amazed, but grateful for sure. Lord, thank you for the fact that you call me holy and spotless and blameless before you. And the reason that you'll hear me say that every single Sunday, most likely, is because we have spiritual amnesia. We forget it. About every seven days, or maybe more than that, maybe every day you need to make it a point to remind yourself you stand before him holy and blameless. That we would be a church that's committed to getting outside of these walls, knowing that we engage the spiritual battle as we move the gospel forward by God's grace and his, his amazing invitation to us. That we would hold up faith for each other, with each other, that we would be the people of God on each other's behalf, that we'd bear each other's burdens, that we'd stand in the gap when we need each other, that we'd be people of the word, that we would not just know it and memorize it, but that we would use it. Friend, you have been given everything you need for victory. And I pray that you will put it on and that you will fight well. If I could summarize it, this is what I'd say to us, and I'll end with this this morning. That we fight the spiritual battle by applying and living the truth of the gospel to our lives. We fight by applying and living the gospel. Friends, the spiritual battle is real. It's real. You have a very real enemy who would absolutely love to destroy you. And unfortunately, the truth of the matter is that for some of us, he is. He is. And this morning, I just want us to take a moment, and, and you, can, you can bow your heads, and I just want to take a moment for us to just remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the fact that he's been good, the fact that he will be good, and the fact that he promises victory. And I want to encourage you to step into the battle with a new frame of thinking, a new mind, and a new conviction of the victory that he has for you. So which one of these sort of stands out to you? Is there a part of this quote-unquote armor that you're not putting on? Holy Spirit, uh, I, you are here. And Lord, we invite you to search us and to know us. Father, that you might stir up truth in us that would come to the surface. And man, if there are ways that we are getting defeated by the enemy, that you would point those out to us, that you would help us step into the fullness of the armor that you've given us, Lord. That we would put it on. Not that we would look at it and admire it and praise you for it, but that we would put it on. And that we would be people who stand in your victory. That we would fight well knowing that we fight not for victory, but that we fight from victory. And that we would be people who boldly step into the fact that you have given us everything we need to live in life to live in joy, and to live in freedom. So Father, this morning I pray over us as South. 
that there would be bonds and strongholds that you would break. Holy Spirit, that there would be people who walk in freedom because of the way that they see you, the way that they know you, the way that your Holy Spirit stirs them to be obedient to you, that we would experience freedom this morning. And Lord, that we would walk out of here and under the bold conviction that you have been victorious. Thank you. Thank you.